Again, do want to welcome you and, and say good morning to you and thank you for being a part of our service as we uh, do turn our attention to, this, to the Word of God. I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and let's go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 together. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but about a year or so ago, I was reading and praying and just trying to, to study on, on some important topics when all of a sudden, like a little light bulb went off. Like something that had been hiding in plain sight now just jumped off the page at me. And like I said, I don't know if you've ever had that happen. It's exciting and it is terrifying. And I'm going to tell you how it started. A nagging question. What if you're wrong? Not about a theological belief. Uh, it, nothing to, to deal with you know, my core convictions and understanding of Scripture. But what if I was wrong about the process and the purpose of the church? You see, what I had taught and, and led, I mean, here for 10 years... Uh, working on 11 now, is what I would heard from my professors and, and seen in other churches. I had served, and my guess is they were just doing what they had seen and, and heard through all of the years. And what had happened is we have created a lot of programs that are meant to draw crowds and make converts. But what if you were wrong? What if the purpose of the church is not to draw a crowd and to make converts, but to do something bigger, something more impactful? Because for all the programs that, that the church as, as a whole has produced in the last 30 years, this was another question I asked. Are those programs creating and producing fully committed, spiritually maturing disciples who make disciples? Now, I'm not going to claim knowledge on every program that a church has ever created in 30 years. But the overwhelming majority of my answer in the ones I've studied is no. They're drawing crowds. They're making a few converts. But Jesus never said, draw a crowd and make converts. Matthew 28 says, go make disciples of all nations. So is there a difference between converts and disciples? I think Scripture will unequivocally say, yeah, over and over and over. So, so while we have been wrestling with programs, we need to understand that the power of God is not in a program, but rather the power of God is revealed through the Spirit of God using the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God to reach the lost. See, what does it mean to make a disciple? Here's a simple definition. Disciple-making is an intentional lifestyle. We live in authentic community for the purpose of reaching the lost with the gospel. How do we do that? Here's the one big thing for the morning. The grace of God empowers you to carry out the ministry of multiplying disciples. But what does that even mean? Let's look at it together. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and ask if you can and would stand as we... Honor the reading of God's word. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach 
others also. Would you pray with me? Father, as we begin this time of studying, we thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we have your spirit to teach us your word. And now, Lord, I pray that we would all have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The grace of God empowers you to carry out the ministry of multiplying disciples. Just like it was in Genesis 1 that we read this morning, this was given to every blood-bought, born-again child of God. The, the task of making disciples is not just for pastors or leaders or the, the quote-unquote religious elite. It is something that every believer is called and commanded to do. But it leaves us with the question of how, do, how can we be a disciple that makes disciples and how do we make those disciples? And I believe in the text it gives us three very simple answers. The first one is this, that we need to learn to rest and rely on the grace of God. Now, Paul is tying the opening of chapter 2 in with the end of chapter 1 with the word therefore. The end of chapter 1, Paul contrasts two groups. He said there are those in verse 15 that have turned away from, from him and they've left sound doctrine. But then there's the example in verse 16 of a man by the name of Anisiphorus. And Paul says, Timothy, you need to learn from his example and you need to learn from my example what it means to be a disciple who is faithful in making disciples. And so how? He, he starts off by saying, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're going to be strong in anything, be strong in God's grace. Why? Because it is only by God's grace through faith that any of us can be saved from our sin. It is only by God's grace that we can sustain our ministry and be faithful to the calling of God. In other words, if God's grace is not given to us, there's no hope for the lost to be saved, and there's no chance that you and I are going to be faithful to God and live out the life that he has called us to. This is why we have to learn to be strong in God's grace, because without his grace, we have nothing and we are nothing. And in turn, we'll do nothing. You see, Jesus made it abundantly clear in Luke 14, verses 26 to 33, that those who are going to follow him, those who, who are going to be disciples, were going to have to make a choice that required sacrifice, commitment, and Jesus was going to have to be their life. Not a part of their life, he was going to have to be their life. And Jesus gave this this statement that if we're not willing to pay the price of sacrifice, commitment, and absolute surrender to him, then we cannot be his disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than walking an aisle, saying a prayer, and sounding a card. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than getting into a baptistry. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than being a church member. Being a disciple is a lifelong commitment lived out in community 
that is characterized by sacrifice, commitment, and complete surrender to Jesus. Nothing less is acceptable to the king. Now Paul's saying, Timothy, my son, you need to be strong in this grace. How did Paul know that God's grace would sustain Timothy? Because it had sustained Paul. Paul had gone through some incredible trials in his life. Uh, several months back, we, we did a verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, I argue that that's Paul's most personal letter uh, that he wrote. He details the struggles and the tests and the trials that he faced in his ministry. And he sums it up in chapter 12 by saying when he had prayed for God to remove a thorn in his flesh three times, he recorded God's response. My grace is sufficient. Paul, when you're weak, then my strength is revealed. And I wonder, church, if sometimes we don't see the power of God move in our lives and in our midst, not because God doesn't want to, but because we refuse to allow him to. Because we want to do what we want to do. We want to do it in our power. We want to do it the way we've always done it. Because that's what's comfortable. Listen, there's nothing wrong with tradition. Traditions are good. Traditions can tie you to the past while propelling you to look forward to your future. But when we do what we do only because it makes us comfortable, then we have left the power of God and rather settled for the wisdom of man. But Paul doesn't say, my son, rely on the wisdom of man. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is grace? It is God's unmerited favor. Grace is understanding who am I that God would even love me or want to save me? Who am I that God would want to use me to build his kingdom for his glory? It's a right understanding of who I am, but more importantly, it's a right vision of who God is. The almighty, sovereign, powerful God. We have to learn to be strong in that grace and reject the wisdom of man. But let's be honest, okay? It's easier to draw a crowd and to make converts, right? Like you, you can do all sorts of mass marketing and you can have big name speakers and, and bands and all this stuff and you can draw a crowd. And you might even succeed in making a few converts. But to be a disciple who makes disciples, that's hard work. That's laboring and toiling for years and going, Lord, is anything really happening? Like, I'm not seeing it. But being faithful and continuing just to do what it is that God has asked us to do. And so a lot of times what happens when we're trying to do the difficult work of of making disciples, we get overwhelmed, and we get tired, and we get discouraged. We get discouraged by the condition of a church, or we get discouraged by the condition of a community or our country. 
And sometimes we, we sit alone and we just kind of wonder, God, am I doing anything? Like, am I getting this right? Am I making a difference? So sometimes we got that Elijah syndrome. Remember, he had that huge spiritual victory on, the, uh, on Mount Carmel over the 450 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. And then all of a sudden, the crazy lady threatened him. He hightails it to a cave, and he has this big old pity party, right? He, oh, woe is me. It would be better if I just died. And God, you know what? I'm the only one who loves you. I'm the only one who is doing right. I love it. God says, Elijah, get over yourself. He, he calls him to come out of, the, out of the cave. And he says, I want you to look, because i got 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to, to Baal. In other words, Elijah, I don't need you. I want you. And so we got to understand that the work of making disciples is hard. But it's worth it. And, and when we are discouraged, and when we are tired, and when we are overwhelmed, and we just want to throw up our hands and go, I can't. This is what I want our rally crowd to be, church. All right? Uh, let, let's learn from a prayer of an Old Testament king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's leading the, the nation of Israel, and things just aren't going well. How bad, you ask? Listen to part of his prayer. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. He said, for we are powerless against this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. God, I got enemies, and I got problems, and I got all this stuff all around me. They are overwhelming me. They are wearing me out. I just don't feel like I can take another step. I don't know what to do. But we look to you. Can we just look to Jesus? That's how you stand strong in the grace of this in Christ Jesus. To go, I can't, but God, you don't need me to because you've already done it. Let that be our rally cry that, I, that I'm powerless. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to look to you. And I'm going to trust you. But there's a second thing about making disciples. It's right there in the opening of verse 2. And that is we need to learn to be a learner. How many of you in school were afraid to raise your hand and ask a question because you were afraid you were going to ask a dumb question? Right? And, And what did your teachers always tell you? There's no such thing as a dumb question. She'd never met me, but anyway. You know, the dumbest people in the class are the people who think they know everything. The people who think they don't need help. They're the ignorant ones. Look, verse 2, he says, And things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. A lot of times we feel overwhelmed at the task of making disciples because we have believed the lie from Satan that we're somehow alone, that we have to figure this out ourselves. Church, understand this, that if you are a child of God, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised that he would send the comforter to equip us and to encourage us and to bring back to our memory everything that he's taught us. You are not alone. Disciples are not alone. We can't make disciples in isolation. But here's the thing. 
In order for me to be able to teach something, I have to first know something. I have to be smart enough to understand that I'm not smart enough. Notice he says, among many witnesses. It wasn't just Paul and Timothy. Paul was teaching publicly. What we see, and we're going to come back to this, is actually four movements in this text. The, the, the first one is, who taught Paul? Paul's teaching Timothy, telling Timothy to learn from him, but who taught Paul? Well, God actually answers that in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, for I have delivered unto you the things, uh, I have brought to you the things that God has delivered to me. God taught Paul. And so what Paul heard from God, he is now passing on to Timothy. And he, he's encouraging him to learn even from Onesiphorus. And see, this, is, this goes back to the opening this morning. We don't need programs and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. What we need to do is invest our lives and be around other godly men and women who can teach us and who in turn we will teach which leads us into the, the third thing uh, this morning that we see in verse 2. And it's, we need to find faithful believers to invest in. Notice the word he says. The same commit thou to faithful men. These are men and women who have demonstrated the fruits of repentance. They are demonstrating a life that is surrendered to Jesus. These are who we are to invest in. Remember we said just a minute ago that there are four parts to this. So God taught Paul. Now Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to learn from what you're hearing from me. Now, Timothy, I want you to commit that to faithful men, and those faithful men are going to be able to teach others also. Here's a key takeaway I hope for you. The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. The disciple-making process is not complete until the mentee becomes the mentor. All right, so Paul learned from God. Paul then taught Timothy, complete cycle. T Paul taught Timothy. Timothy passed on to faithful men, complete cycle. Faithful men taught it to others. The others were then to go and teach it to more. There's your complete cycle. This is the understanding that we have to have of disciple making. It's more than just a pastor church member relationship it's something much deeper and it begs two questions for us this morning first who is investing in me if you could just be honest with yourself and go I don't know everything there is to know about being a disciple and I need to learn who are you seeking out to help you grow. But now don't fall for the lie that Satan loves to feed that you can't disciple somebody until you are more spiritually mature. The disciples got a crash course. Jesus taught and they had to go do. 
All right, they, they weren't spiritually mature, right? I mean, we can point to that all throughout the Gospels. So not only should you be asking, who is investing in me? But you also should be asking, who am I investing in? Who am I passing on what God and other faithful men and women have given me? Because the gospel cannot stop with us. The gospel came to us on its way to somebody else. And when Paul says committed to faithful men, again, this is deeper than preaching or teaching on a Sunday morning in a worship service. At a bare minimum here, it's an intentional Bible study. Now, around here, we call it Sunday school. Why is Sunday school so important? Because it helps us to live out and to fulfill the two great commandments. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. As I am part of a smaller family in Sunday school that's part of the bigger family, I grow closer to God and I grow closer to my church family. But Paul even has something even deeper here. Because he says, commit thou to faithful men. He has specific men in mind here. What's he mean? He means take that, that Sunday school class and find those men, if you're a guy, women, if you're women, and have a discipleship relationship with them. Now, here we call it core groups. Other places might be D groups, whatever it is. But it's the idea that I have three intentional times of study in my life. Worship, Sunday school, discipleship group. This is the understanding. Now, some of you are are rightly asking the question, do we see that in Scripture? Because that's what we base our life on here, right? Well, the overwhelming answer is yes. If you go look in, in the Gospels, you see Jesus, he's, he's talking to many as he calls the first couple of disciples and, and, and all of them. So he goes to the many and he calls the, the small. Now, here's the thing about Jesus' ministry. Three and a half years. And 80 to 90% of that three and a half years was invested not in the many, but in the twelve. And on five separate occasions, Jesus took the twelve, out of the twelve, he took three and invested in them more deeply. Those three are Peter, James, and John. Now, if you go out of the Gospels and go into the book of Acts, the early church, guess who God uses to spread the, the message of the gospel and making disciples in the early church? You guessed it, Peter, James, and John. You can't read the book of Acts and not see their names all through it. So here's the paradigm shift. The way we normally do things in, in churches as a whole is we cast out a wide net and pull it back for just a few and go, hey, you're the, you're the chosen ones. Okay? What Jesus did is he started with the many and he called them smaller. Then he called a few But then, notice what he did with those few. As he invested in them, he used those few to reach the many for the glory of God. 
See, we, we have this idea of top down. Jesus says, nope, it's bottom up. It starts with a few, and it spreads to more and more and more. And that's the process of multiplication that we see in Scripture. And it's what we're called to do in everything that we do. And this is why I want to challenge us. Again, there are 7 billion people on planet Earth right now. Approximately. 2 billion of them have never heard the name of Jesus or heard the gospel. 2 billion. Now what we're learning is out of 100 people who identify as Christians... In the last 30 days, only two of them have shared the gospel. Two out of 100 are expected to reach 2 billion. I don't think so. See, we've got to move away from the desire to draw a crowd to create converts, to start with a few and, and truly invest in them so that they can go out and reach the many. Because the, the process of disciple-making is a cycle. Now, I, I can see you're a little skeptical, so let me give you the cycle real quick, okay? So you've been saved by God's grace. All right? So the second part of the Great Commission is what? Teaching them to observe, that's to obey, all things whatsoever I've commanded you, right? So as you teach a disciple, what's one of the primary things that Jesus taught the disciples to do? To share the gospel. That's evangelism. Go make disciples of all nations. So here, here it is. As we as disciples learn what Jesus is teaching, we're going to go obey it, which means we're going to share the gospel with the lost, which means he, God is going to supernaturally, by his grace, save more people so that we can baptize them and start teaching them so that they can, you guessed it, start evangelizing the lost. It's a cycle. When we focus just on evangelism or we focus just on teaching, we are ignoring the process God has given us. And thus we are settling for the wisdom of man instead of the power and the glory of God. Now I'm going to tell you, I've given you a lot of information in about 27 minutes. The fact of the matter, I've given you about what's taken me a year. So you're probably feeling really overwhelmed going, this sounds great, but how? Take the next step. For some of you, the next step is actually the first step. You know, when he says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus, that is Christ Jesus, Paul is saying, know that you're saved. Has there been a moment in which you have understood that you are a sinner who has rejected the gospel. But you have come to trust that Jesus died on the cross in your place. That you could be saved. If you haven't, this is the place. You have to start. Nothing else you ever do in life will matter. If you try to skip over surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But salvation is the beginning not the finish. From there, God expects us to grow. All right, John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. 
So it's expected of us to, to grow. So maybe the next step for you this morning is next Sunday at 945 to join one of the eight classes we have here on Sunday mornings. Uh, we do have one Wednesday morning uh, as well at Bojangles right down at Lake Watch. It meets at 830. You need to get together with that community. And you need to start learning. And you need to start growing closer to God and growing closer to others in that class. That's the next step for you. But maybe you are already doing those first two. You you have surrendered to Jesus and you are in Sunday school. What could you possibly do? The next step is be a disciple who makes disciples by being in a core group and, and those D groups. Now, Again, I can already hear your wheels spinning. I can't do that. I'm not, I don't know how to. Nobody showed me how. That's okay. Let me ask you just a few very simple questions. Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to read a Bible? Do you know how to memorize stuff? Please don't tell me it's too hard to memorize Scripture. You can memorize everything else. I promise you can do that. Can you do that? And can you ask some brothers and sisters whom you love some questions about how their life is going? And can they ask you and you answer them? Congratulations, you can do a discipleship group. There's no program, there's no class to go to. It's opening up the Word of God and trusting the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to grow the people of God for the glory of God. That's it. So whatever your step is, Will you take it? Because the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I I don't know all the steps in the process for you. But I know what the next one needs to be. And even better, so do you. So what I'm asking you is, will you love God? Will you love the lost enough to surrender and say, Lord, I'm taking that next step? Would you stand as we're going to pray together? Father, as we continue just to to go through this morning, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word. And and Lord, undoubtedly there has been a lot thrown out. By my own admission, it's, it's been a year of you bringing me to where I am. God, I I know I still have a long way to go. And so I understand how overwhelming it can feel. How unnatural it can feel because, Lord, that's just not the way we've done church. But, Father, we don't want to do church. We're called to be the church. We're called to surrender our lives to you and, and to be obedient to you in all things. And so the reality is, God, we can't do it. Lord, I want us to go another step and say, God, if you're not leading us, I don't want to do it. But where you lead, Father, I trust that you're going to provide. And I, I trust that as we respond to you in what looks like radical obedience, I trust as our faith is in you, Lord, you will move in mighty, powerful ways in our lives 
in our families, in our church, in this community, in our nation, and around the world. All you're asking is will we surrender control of our lives and walk with you in faith. So, Father, as you have spoken, God, just let us respond and let us praise you because you and you alone are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song together. The altar is open. If there's any way we can pray, if you want to take that next step, let's respond together.